Welcome to Measured Science, a Lico Corporation podcast to bring you perspectives on a wide range of topics from analytical science. From Lico's world headquarters in snowy St. Joseph, Michigan, I'm your host, Andrew Story, Lico's field sales specialist for materials analysis. And I'm your co-host, Matt Germscheid, Lico's metallographic product manager. And today, we are thrilled to launch this podcast with a very special guest, Lico's own Dave Colston. Dave recently retired as Lico's corporate metallurgist after being with Lico for about 15 years. That capped a career working on a wide range of different materials across various industries. Before retiring, Dave sat down with us to speak about the different things he saw throughout his career and the perspectives about the future of metallurgy. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Yes, it's good to have you. So uh, when we were when we were thinking about all the things that we really appreciate about Dave, uh, a lot of things come to mind. Uh, but you know, I, I think the first thing uh, to, that comes to mind when we're talking about retirement is what's the biggest development in your career uh, in the field of metallurgy, and how do you expect? Uh, that uh, continue to be carried forward, I suppose. Well, I think that uh, metallurgical theories that I learned uh, 75, 80 years ago going to college, you know, most of those are still intact. Uh, the thing that's really changed, I think, is the technology, and especially with regard to communication and, you know, all those digital things associated with that. So, uh, you know, back in my day, as I lean back in my rocking chair here, you know, we did, you know, most of the communication was done uh, either via written form or telephone. And even the telephone was restricted because uh, where I spent most of my career, uh, in the beginning at least, uh, in order to make a long distance phone call, I basically had to get permission from my boss in order to be able to do that. And I had to keep it very short. So most of what was done was done via paper. And uh, it just took a very long time for anything to get done. So today in metallurgy and along with everything else, uh, things just happen so much quicker and so much easier. And so I guess with with that, with specifically to metallurgy, um, you know, what do you think will be the big changes going forward as we move into a, a, an era where, you know, communication is just uh, so free flowing? Well, I truly believe that uh, that a lot of well, first of all, metallurgists are uh, dinosaurs. Um, you know, a lot of uh, metallurgy programs, most metallurgy programs have uh, morphed over to be material science programs um, and, and for good reasons. Um, but I think that um, that in the metallurgical area or whatever, I think that artificial intelligence really uh, is going to have a huge impact on that. Uh, right now, you're you're expecting somebody to dredge back to their uh, college days and remember things in order to be able to interpret a microstructure. Um, and certainly a computer could uh, be uh, taught over some period of time uh, that same methodology and, uh, and be able to interpret microstructures uh, 
without uh, a human being being present. Yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of that. I, I think that we see more and more uh, a growth in uh, certainly the utilization and digitization of uh, imaging and, and results. Um, and, and, you know, with that, there's always those those questions that arise in, in any of our conversations about things. And I think that's uh, that kind of comes into to kind of my next question here, which, you know, as we look into all these different things that are observed within the field, you know, they're, they're just topics that need to end. And what's the thing that really jumps out to you uh, that maybe is too subjective or not meaningful enough? Uh, to carry forward as as what uh, is really important in metallurgy. There are a lot of things that fall into that category, unfortunately. One of them that comes to mind, and I, and I think I'll just mention two because I can't just uh, speak to one. Uh, one of them is uh, the uh, metallographic analysis for uh, determining percentage of retained austenite. And usually this is this shows up in carburized steels you know the surface is very high in carbon yeah, and when the heat treatment is performed then the martensite start temperature is so low that uh, austenite does not all transform martensite so you end up with this retained austenite so it's important that you know how much there is but uh, some people just uh, assume you can just do a quick metallographic examination and just do a quick area fraction of white stuff in there. That's your austenite. Uh, but there are a lot of factors in that that certainly influence the results. And I think people need to quit trying to do that. Another thing that is important, but I just find so many people that don't understand it well enough to do it right, and that is a simple grain size analysis. Back in the day, uh, grain size was much more variable than it is today. Steel making, you know, 50 years ago or something, we worried whether we would have some material with a grain size of three and from the same lot would have a grain size of 12 or something. Uh, we don't see that anymore. It really isn't a anything that most people worry about with uh, steel. Uh, somehow or another, they still have to follow a specification that requires grain size analysis, and then they just do it wrong. So I think that uh, rather than trying to perfect some software or whatever to mitigate that, you know, I'd like to see the whole thing just go away. Okay. I, I have a question about the lack of need for grain size. Is that just because we're becoming better at creating steel, aluminums, and everything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, we just, you know, with the controls both in the melt and also the the heat treating we don't have those wild excursions that we used to have and, and the same goes for inclusion analysis you know steels today are much 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 cleaner than they used to be and so the the fact that people still require inclusion analysis um, in a lot of cases is uh, just wasted time is there anything that you think maybe people should be focused more on than, and then maybe that they're not, I guess, kind of along those same lines? I, I'm a, I, I guess I'm a believer in not just looking at something one way. We used to, uh, when I worked in the wire business, 
the main quality control for the wire, there were two things. One was the diameter of the wire, and the other one was the tensile strength. And tensile strength can be achieved in a number of different manners. Some of them are good, and some of them aren't so good. So you can take something with a very high tensile strength that's maybe out of spec and give it some very poor marginal heat treatment to soften it up, which resolves the tensile strength issue, but then creates other issues like uh, ductility issues or corrosion problems or whatever. So I think that people need to, when they're establishing requirements, I think they need to think about uh, maybe maybe having more than one angle at it uh, and not just looking at, for instance, uh, micro hardness. You know, micro hardness kind of falls into that same category of you can get it, you can get it to the right hardness a lot of different ways and probably only one of those is correct. So Dave, one of the things that I've always enjoyed uh, in working with you is that is kind of your sense of humor about all the different things that we end up seeing from uh, different customers in terms of things that they will send in to us. And maybe this answer doesn't even apply to your time here at Lico, but what's the most interesting sample that someone's ever asked you to look at uh, in a professional capacity or otherwise, I guess? Uh, yeah, I've had lots of friends that have given me things to look at, but I don't think we want to mention those here. Um, we've had some strange ones here at Lico uh, in the MATLAB. The ones that you know pop up immediately in my mind are human teeth measuring the hardness of the various layers of a tooth, the enamel, the dentin. Uh, we had some rat bones. Apparently some kind of uh, medical study involved, you know, feeding some poor defenseless rat some drug. And then one of the measures of the effect of that drug was changes in the density and structure of specific bones and in this case it was the femur of a rat so you know those are those are a couple of oddballs and then we we had a sample uh, it was a multicolored tennis shoe that uh, we received from uh, Mexican customs Mexican customs wanted us to use our image uh, image analysis software to measure the area fraction of the different colors of the uh, tennis shoe. And the tennis shoe was made from, I think there was leather, there was rubber, there was some kind of polyester material and whatever. And these were all colored different colors. And so they just were more interested from a tariff standpoint to measure the area fraction of leather. So we set up uh, with a stereo microscope and and did analysis of these uh, of this tennis shoe. The customs uh, issues, I think, are always some of the, the most interesting ones because a lot of times they're originating not necessarily from a technical standpoint, but uh, a necessity of of different uh, materials and you know some law that's written without any knowledge of the way that somebody might approach those analyses. Yes, it reminds me of the Converse All Stars are technically a, a slipper according to tariffs because they felt on the bottom of the shoes, so they get around some of those tariffs when importing to the U.S. Nice. Yeah, I, I think it's nice, too. <laughs> uh, and so, Dave, after you have worked with all of these uh, fun uh, different materials and everything like that, 
Yeah, we're, we're going to be missing you here, but what do you plan to do with all of your extra free time in retirement? Well, I'd like to say that I have a, a well-thought-out plan that I uh, can't tell you about, but um, I have a uh, not-so-well-thought-out plan that uh, I will tell you about, and that is that uh, a couple of my hobbies are uh, photography and also uh, travel. So I'd like to combine those two. You know, being uh, being in the workforce, it's been uh, very difficult for me to go to certain places at certain times of year in order to get the best photographs, like for instance, uh, fall photographs in either New England or the Upper Peninsula of Michigan or whatever. So I'd like to be, you know, I, I know I'll have the freedom to do that kind of thing and travel to places that I'd like to travel to. My son is moving to uh, Seattle in June, so I'm going to take that excuse for helping him by moving his vehicle out there for him. And that'll probably be a week-long venture for me to uh, hit all the national parks and whatever I can do along the way. So that's part of it. I'm also a golfer of sorts. Anybody that's ever seen me golf would probably not agree with that, but uh, I do enjoy golfing. and. Uh, I'll do more of that. Uh, I'm a runner, so uh, I probably will not do more of that, but I'll do the same amount and maybe get involved in a few more uh, races than I have in the past. And I'm also, my wife would like me to act as a, a math tutor at Southwestern Michigan College at some point, and so I'll probably uh, investigate that and and do that on some basis. Yeah, I, I, I recently or a couple of years ago, I had done a cross country trip, and I, I definitely agree that uh, you know you should do that in, in a week or maybe even more if uh, your son can afford to not have his car for a while. So, I think that's that sounds like a, a great time. Certainly, travel is a, a fun thing, and I hope you are able to do lots of that in retirement. And we all love your photographs everywhere mm -hmm. we go. So whether it's you sending it over, noticing it on your wall or your backgrounds. Matt, do you have anything uh, that you'd like to ask or talk about here? I just have a question about, you mentioned earlier in the interview about, you know, how much faster communication is. And, you know, for Andrew and I, who are younger than you, but we're certainly not babies, I guess, in, in our professional lives. But I, for sometimes I just think about what people did before email. So you're bringing it back to metallurgy and taking photos. I mean, was it even possible to share photos with clients or coworkers? Or, or did you just take Polaroids and send it via snail mail? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was it. I mean, I mean, to tell you the truth, when I first started doing metallography, which would have been in college, we were restricted to all uh, film. So we just, you know, on, on regular, like negatives, uh, we would have uh, four by five sheet film that we would expose, usually either under or over uh, exposed, and uh, and then make prints from that. And so that, you know, that's like super horrible. And then when I uh, when I got out into the real world, eventually Polaroids became inexpensive enough that you could do those. So. We certainly 
Yes, uh, every image you would capture two of them, one for you and one for the customer or client. And, you know, hopefully nobody ever lost theirs or uh, needed a replacement because it was it was difficult to do. We had a we had a copy camera, so we had a camera that was simply set up to make uh, to take pictures of pictures so that if we did have a picture that somebody wanted to copy up, that's how we did it. We put it on this on a stand. There were four very hot lights that were shining on it, and uh, you had a Polaroid camera up above, and you would capture the image. So, yeah, that that part of it, going from that to digital photography, was like that was like going from the dark ages to the space age. I mean, it was uh, it was a big leap, both from a storage standpoint, a, a cost standpoint. I mean, last Polaroids that we took here at Lico that I remember, I think were like three dollars each. And so, you know, you can you know, it doesn't take very many of those before you start racking up hundreds of dollars in just pictures. Yeah, electrons are so much cheaper now that uh, we yeah. can just store. It's very, things. it's very different from just emailing a photo you took. Right. Yeah. The speed. The, yeah. That. I mean, that's that's one of the things that when I was in the wire business early on, uh, my main uh, it seemed like the the we had we had plants uh, in several locations and one of them was in Worcester, Massachusetts, and I remember dealing with them a lot. And yeah, I would write a letter, or a report, or whatever, and mail it, and you know, a week later they'd get it. Then they. You know, after a few days would reply. So, you know, there were weeks between uh, interchanges. So, yeah, it's it's obviously a little faster today. I guess, uh, Dave, the, the last question is, is there anything that you want to say uh, either to the world of metallurgy or to people here at LECO or any of our customers uh, as we kind of wrap up today's interview? Uh, there's a lot of things I can say. <laughs> I would say, first of all, that I got very lucky that metallurgy, I just sort of fell into it. When I, when I went to college, I was in the metallurgy program at Michigan Tech, but they had two, it was divided into two programs. One was extractive metallurgy and the other one was physical metallurgy. And I was in extractive, I think for about a week. I thought that I wanted to work in a field where I would be grinding up ore and and uh, separating the metal from that ore. But I found out pretty early on that I, I knew I didn't want to do that, but I didn't know that I wanted to do the other half of metallurgy. So it was very fortunate that I had a lot of really good professors and some really great classmates. Uh, there were 30 people in my graduating uh, metallurgy class so that you know it was a big class for metallurgy so it, it was something that from pretty early on I knew it was something I was going to want to do for the rest of my life uh, I know that a lot of people don't you know don't get that opportunity um, and then fast forwarding about 30 years um, I was out of a job and I saw the ad for uh, my current position in the newspaper and I knew for sure that I was not qualified at all to do that kind of work. A few months passed and I became much more desperate and uh, I contacted 
uh, Lico, and for some strange reason, they decided to give me an interview, and I did that, and I was hired, and it's it's been a very long learning process for me. Uh, I, I knew nothing in the beginning, and uh, and I know a little bit more than that now, but I just have to thank uh, everyone at LECO, uh, the Warrens, for uh, allowing me to be here, uh, even though I was fully unqualified, and uh, and then for giving me the freedom to do my job the way I wanted to do it, and also just for putting up with me for the past 15 years. Yeah, I don't think there's any any putting up with you really, Dave. I think you, you make it a pleasure to come to work every day with all the people that you do work with, um, whether it's uh, your great dad jokes or candy or your just general demeanor around the office. For my part, I, I didn't know much of anything about metallurgy when I came to LECO, and uh, you've certainly taught me a tremendous amount, or at least what appears to me to be a tremendous amount uh, over the last five years or so. So. Um, personally and professionally, I, I must say uh, thank you very much uh, for all you've contributed uh, to uh, my life. And, uh, you know, you're going to be very, very deeply missed in these halls. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, my, my sentiments exactly, but I think I'll miss the, the candy and treats the most. <laughs> well, Okay. So, so for our listeners who are, are maybe less familiar with our with our building and our, our current setup, I think everybody should know that one of the things that Dave is is notoriously and quiet about uh, is that he always celebrates every random day of the year uh, with the most uh, appropriate candy or uh, small treat, and uh, you you can't help but walk past them, read the little sign, chuckle. And uh, if you're uh, not feeling too guilty about the snack that it presents, uh, take one. And uh, we appreciate that setup day after day, Dave. You'll be missed. Well, I hope somebody takes it over when I'm gone. (laughs) I I don't think anyone necessarily has your uh, creativity uh, and enthusiasm about (laughs) that venture, but it is very much appreciated. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Dave. And uh, we look forward to these last couple weeks with you. And we wish you nothing but the best of luck in in all your future endeavors in retirement. Yeah, absolutely. Thank Thank you much, Dave. Yep, thank you guys. Well, we want to just thank Dave Colston for that great interview and all of his useful comments on metallurgy and his professional career. Um, Of course, again, we wish him the best in his future endeavors. We want to hear from you. Uh, What are the problems that you're having? If you have comments about today's podcasts or ideas for future ones, please let us know. Visit leco.com slash podcasts for more information.